Hi and welcome to episode one of Eating Words. I'm Sarah Dempster, a registered nutritionist on a mission to support children to grow up with positive relationships to food and their bodies. This podcast came about through my own questioning of whether some of my work had actually done more harm than good. I think in the quest to encourage healthy eating, we sometimes make recommendations that just don't fit with people's lives. So I want to have a conversation about how we communicate about food and nutrition, exploring what needs to happen to make eating well without stress a reality for everyone. And I've invited some really experienced and knowledgeable people on to speak to me. Um, Today's episode, I'm talking to Kelly Fullerton, who is a primary school PE teacher based in Australia, who's also a qualified nutritionist, um, working as the curious nutritionist. And she has so much experience of um, delivering food education in schools. So in this episode, we talk about some of the opportunities and challenges in delivering that food-based work in schools um, and really focusing on the importance of experiential learning. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I've been following your work for a couple of years and I'm so excited to be able to finally chat with you. I'd like to start with an easiest question. So how have your food preferences changed since you were a child? Was there some food that you disliked as a child that you like now or anything that you liked when you were little that you've stopped enjoying? Oh, great question. I think I've been pretty much a varied eater throughout my life. The only food I think as a child that I loathed and I'm I consider I'm still learning to like as an adult um are peas peas uh, that's an interesting peas, one yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I used to I used to actually um say to mum you don't have to eat the squash peas on your plate do you and I remember her saying to me oh no you don't and so I started to squash them um, and then it became, <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, so then mum used to serve me beans instead of peas and I would eat those. And then she started to serve the canned peas, which I think were a little bit sweeter. And mm-hmm. so I would eat the canned ones, but I wouldn't eat the fresh um, frozen ones. So yeah, okay. that's probably my only, yeah, my only food dislike that I, that I had growing up. I think that's interesting because peas are about the o- one of the only vegetables that my four-year-old will actually eat. And I think that it is because they've got that kind of sweeter um, taste to them. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so that's interesting. So you've always been quite a varied eater. You've always kind of liked all, all kinds of food. Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Can you think, like, what, what was things like growing up for you? Were your family quite varied eaters as well? Yeah, they were. Yeah, we were very... Um pretty varied, like lots of different vegetables every night. Um, I w- did have a conversation with someone the other day. We we ate family roasts on a Sunday um, mm-hmm. and that was always a family, you know, go-to meal and barbecues and things like that. So there was always lots of colour on the plate. Um, we always had a dessert after after our meal. We always looked forward to a, an ice cream or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was food was very neutral in our household so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so you've you've yeah you've had that kind of positive relationship to all food modeled for you throughout your life it's interesting because my my tastes have changed massively since I was little like there are foods that I loved when I was a child um I used to like eating roast lamb um mm-hmm. especially the crispy bits when I was really young and then when I was 12, I became vegetarian. And now I, I can't stomach the thought of eating any meat. Um, oh, it's can't. actually like, like it's full on disgust. It's like um, people eating, but when they're forced to eat bugs in those jungle programs, that's kind of how oh. I feel about eating meat oh, okay. now. That must be, you know, that I've decided that those food is, is wrong for whatever reason. It's become a, like a value um, led thing, mm-hmm. I think. But then there are a lot of things like olives when I was little. Oh, yeah, actually, learned... yeah, add that to yeah. the list too, yeah. That was not something I grew up with because I um, that was more of an Italian kind of household food, whereas mm-hmm. mine mm-hmm. was traditional Australian. Okay. So, uh-huh. yeah. I love the language that you used there. You, you said about learning to like food, and I think that's, um, you know, it's a really positive way of thinking about things for children, uh, that, that children are learning to like foods and not so much that they are, you know, fussy or picky. That's right. Yeah, I suppose that's something that's come into my vocabulary in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a while to learn how to use it and how to use it well with children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just rephrase what they say. And I might say, oh, you're still learning to like that. And mm-hmm. I just leave it at that. So 
Um, I think that's really a beneficial way to look at food without that pressure of having to like it and like it completely because we have yeah, the different experiences I suppose we have with it. So acknowledging the different experiences like you were just talking about peas, different experience for your family compared to my family. Uh Yeah, and recognising that everybody's tastes and preferences are different and that we all kind of move on with that at our own pace. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah. So, Kelly, you're qualified as both a nutritionist and as a primary primary uh, PE teacher. Primary teacher, yeah, Yeah. and I'm a Uh PE teacher. So I started out as a primary teacher, so I've been teaching for, this is my 25th year, um yeah a long time (laughs) mainly classroom teaching um worked in leadership for a little bit went back to classroom teaching um and then took some long service leave a few years back and decided to study my graduate certificate of human nutrition um Mm -hmm. and I kind of haven't looked back and so I've dived into um more so behaviors and the psychology of um food and education Um, Mm -hmm. and I did major in psychology when I studied at university um, many moons ago Um, so (laughs) that has that I've been really grateful to go be able to go back to that um, Mm -hmm. area Um, yeah so and now I've moved into teaching PE um, and I do that part-time and I just do casual teaching plus my business the curious nutritionist but um, yeah I like the the real mix to what I'm doing and what I've learned about um, nutrition and how I've turned it from nutrition to food education because initially it was for me it was all about nutrition and feeding myself well and getting all those correct nutrients into me um, and I probably did start on down that path when I started working with children and then I realized hold on a minute I need to think like a child. I need to yes. change this and learn a little bit more about where children are at, where, what their entry point is to learning about food um, mm-hmm. and how they have so many different entry points to learning about food and different experiences that they bring with them. Um, mm. And how do I translate that into a fun, exciting, engaging way to learn about food without yeah. the pressure of having to eat the food at the end? It's all about just learning about the food and having the education about food. Great. So, uh-huh. so I, I love the way that you do that. It's so because I've been talking about these things and sort of saying, oh, you know, I don't know how comfortable I am with hearing children learning about, you know, categorizing foods as healthy and unhealthy from a young age or doing the food sourcing activities. And I think there's this real um, because there's a pressure at a public health level to improve children's eating patterns, there becomes that kind of that tra- is that translated through as we have to educate children about nutrition. And mm. what you're sort of saying there is that you're able to promote healthy eating and encourage nutrition, but through those practical activities, through developing that curiosity in children. Can you tell me a wee bit more about your teaching philosophy and kind of what you're working on just now? Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really immersed in the whole curiosity thing. Mm. And I really, um, I've now come to the realization that I don't need to answer all of the children's questions mm-hmm. I need to enable them to ask lots of questions to try and find the answers for themselves so in the sense that the other day I was doing an incursion with some um, grade ones and twos and um, we did a, we were talking about loud foods and quiet foods and we did a little experiment with covering our ears and listening to ourselves speak and whisper and then we tried a, a, a quiet food which was a grape and then we Mm -hmm. tried a loud food which was carrot and Mm -hmm. we talked about we'll have to chew it um lots of times we're chewing the carrot lots more than we'd have to choose chew the grape because it's a harder food and and those kinds of things and this little boy said oh I just noticed the more I chewed the carrot the sweeter it got and he he came to that realization that himself um so it was such an enlightening and um empowering experience for him because he realized yeah. well maybe if I truth and take some more time to think about what I'm doing I might actually enjoy my food a whole lot more without yeah. me actually having to say that to him <laughs> so yeah. um it was just more so you might have to chew it a little bit more because it is crunchy it does take a little more, bit more time to eat so mm-hmm. um yeah it was just so enlightening for them to come to that realization themselves Um, And I think that's what we need to do. We need to do a whole lot more of that. We kind of do this real top-down approach and directive teaching um, Mm -hmm. and 
when people go into that whole, you know, sorting foods into groups and um, we jump, we dive into that way too early, I find. We dive into yeah. that in the in the lower primary area where we sort of probably need to leave that to like maybe when they're middle primary, grade three and grade four, um, yeah. and then a little bit older um, mm-hmm. because they don't even know where food comes from yet. So mm-hmm. some children haven't made that connection. I've worked with children in grade five and said, oh, I thought that brown cows give us brown milk, give us chocolate milk. <laughs> like so, chocolate milk. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we we kind of, we need to um, really listen to where children are at in their understanding mm. of the world of food because the food environment is so complex and yes. the, the uh, mark, food marketing towards children um the food environments at home, whether parents are caught up in diet culture um, and their own food beliefs and food values, these all impact on how children learn how to eat. Um, and if we're coming in as a teacher and saying we have to eat A, B and C, we're really um, disengaging them from tuning into their own body, basically. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And just having that experience with the food and learning uh, learning about the food and what it does for you by just experiencing that you know that they're they're trying to kind of if we try to get them into their heads before they're able to kind of understand those abstract concepts it can get really really confusing for them yeah um, I think can't it Uh uh-huh um so I've read a little bit around um children being quite concrete learners from from an early stage um and is that something you can talk to at all about how they kind of develop those, how they start to develop their knowledge and um, understanding of, of, of nutrition as they get older, mm. like what yeah. they can and can't understand? Yeah, so really early on, um, I focus, and I, actually, you know what, I, I kind of, I, it doesn't really, you can even do the same thing with adults, really, like this, the mm. same mm-hmm. concepts can apply from um, toddler right through to an adult if you know mm-hmm. if you're working with an adult and talking about your experiences with food you can actually enlighten them with this in the same way um, using the same strategies so okay. um, it's about employing I suppose the correct strategies in order to um, build a food repertoire to build confidence um, to build experiences um, so just um, we I often have a lot of um, people say, well, how do I get my child to eat vegetables? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of compare it to, well, how do I, and this, the question of how do I get my child to read? Well, we don't get a child to do anything unless we put <laughs> some other things in place, you know. Um, you can like get your shoes on, shoes but on you can't. In the morning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, go get I'm your toothbrush to brush your one, teeth. Yeah. <laughs> but we, could, yeah, we kind of um, we misread that. So if mm. we're looking at that, we kind of we need to look at what skills do they have, what experiences mm. do they have, what prior knowledge. Um, if a child's never had seen um, or tasted a pumpkin before, what experiences do I need to give in order for them to build the food skills to learn to like that? Um, yeah. So it's yeah, it's. You, you apply the same strategies across all all of the learning, um, and that way it's not seen as a separate entity. Because sometimes we see um, food or eating as you see food, you eat it. It's so not like that. Um, there's 25 to 32 steps to eating. It's a very complex. It's probably the one, one of the most complex things you can do um, in mm-hmm. your whole, whole entire life and learn how to do. Um, so we have to really set children up for success in that, in that way. And I find the sensory engagement and the sensory experiences, um, are so empowering and because everyone has, can have a different experience and opening up that conversation and building that literacy around that. I find that that's really much more purposeful and especially in schools if we are going from this sensory based and because we have to assess a lot of what we learn we can easily assess vocabulary from the very beginning you can look at you know how a child describes an apple compared to how they would describe an apple much later on after you've built on those experiences with it um so we have some measurable learning there um and it's Mm. not necessarily about the eating it's about learning about food and building the vocabulary around food um, yeah. So yeah, we we kind of need to look for more quality 
um, ways of approaching learning, a lot more higher order thinking rather than the low order kind of tasks where you are just relying on memory and sorting yep. information. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of boring as well. It's probably the most boring thing you can do in a classroom with kids. Yeah, you want them, you know, really having these conversations with each other and and especially with, alongside their peers. I find that when they're alongside their little mates, they will try things. They want to be like everybody else. Um, and sometimes they won't acknowledge that their experience is the same, but they will later on. That's that's setting them up for success, you know, mm-hmm. um, and acknowledging that everyone's different. We all don't have to have the same food preferences or we don't have to um, eat the same way. We can all value what we all eat. Um, yeah, and you, using that for cross-curricular learning as well. So mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, what do you like and, and why did you like it and describing the foods and talking about it and, you know, using that to kind of... Um, learn counting skills and that kind of thing there's yeah. so much that, that can be done around there to 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 link it together with other, other types of learning I guess yeah definitely um, definitely there's so many entry points into mm. food education across the curriculum and um mm-hmm. even with the Australian curriculum it's so so broad that you could take say the concept of like sustainability across from like lower primary right through to upper primary um, and attack a different area of it Um, and it just builds on the learning across you know you could even to the same concept with food systems Um, you don't have to actually just take let's just look at food groups that just really narrows it down and makes Mm -hmm. the learning very limited. So um, I'm wondering what the curriculum is like there you're saying it's quite broad and I've found that so I've looked at um, the curriculum documents for both England and Scotland and they were quite broad although it tends to seem to be interpreted because I think yes when I look at some of the resources that are created to go alongside the curriculum because it's done in that stage-based approach mm. um, some of the activities that are suggested are very much like your um, the food sorting activities and, yes. and the idea that you said they are like around that they can actually recognize um through is it low order thinking yeah low order (laughs) Um, thinking so you're basically like you're relying on memory you're relying on one answer kind of yeah yeah so so they can the the evidence seems to suggest that there are a lot of papers that say yes they can recognize which foods are healthy or which foods are unhealthy or which foods are which group but that doesn't tell you anything about what they're actually learning or what their interpretation of that is exactly Um, right yeah yeah so um so it's kind of it's almost a bit of a tick box exercise I think and not actually really thinking through um you know how how this is actually building their experience with food and helping them as you say to like learn to like it um so um when you've worked with schools or with teachers what have your experiences been like of trying to change those sort of quite um standard ways of teaching well when I go into my um, incursions I will say to the teachers this is professional learning for you I want you to look and listen to how I talk about food um and so that way that's and I do go in and I say my first challenge is to all the students and I say this is for your teachers and for you, your challenge today Mm -hmm. is we are not going to use the word healthy, unhealthy, Mm -hmm. good, bad, yuck, yum or tasty. And the -hmm. the children look at me like their head is about to explode (laughs) and they're like, (laughs) whoa, and I'm like, I've just stretched your brains, haven't I? And they're like, yeah, you have. And I say, good, because that's what I'm here for. That's what I want you to mm-hmm. do. I said, because there's lots of other ways we can talk about food and mm-hmm. there's lots more fun ways we can talk about food. And mm-hmm. so that, and then the teachers will comment later on and say, oh, I didn't kind of think like that. And I said, well, that's, you know, it's quite beneficial because rather than telling kids it's healthy, they already know this, you know, they know mm-hmm. what's healthy, what's unhealthy. It's everywhere around them. Um, they're probably <laughs> getting it from, they're learning that from home. So what, the, and and, and I sort of explained to them, you do realise, well, you, well, you probably don't realise, but there's a real disconnect between what you're teaching at school and, and what they're, they're going home and learning about food. Um, and really what we're teaching at school doesn't even cut, cut it because they disregard what they've learned at school because what they learn at home is much more valuable. Um, mm. So, and there is research around that as well. There's a current uh, research in Australia about that that big disconnect between family values and what they learn about food at home and, and their experiences at home and then at school they come to school and find out that this is unhealthy we should eat less of this and they don't they, what is less um 
yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's those ideas less and unhe- what is healthy like consider the child in your class that has diabetes and is a type 1 diabetic and needs to have a little hit of sugar yeah when mm. they, when they have a low so it's re- mm. it's really um it's really kind of it's miscommunicating that everyone's different and all it just doesn't put the context to it that's you right know, it's just yeah and it disconnects one size fits all yeah and it disconnects from food um it doesn't mm. actually connect us with food it it goes down mm. the road of rules and i have found that oh, i was in one school um one time and they the children i happened to be doing a lesson um with a grade six class and the children had done a whole lot of workshops on exercise um healthy eating um mental health there were all these different or yoga all these different things and their follow-up lesson was create a goal and it was really interesting like I was kind of glad and they were probably lucky that I walked into that situation and I tried to redirect it and change it and put a positive spin on it as much as I could um Mm. But the converse, it was really like I just sat back and listened to what the children were saying and there were kids and these children in this school are very active anyway. A lot of them are in basketball groups after school. They do lots of sport. It's a very um, sporty kind of school. And these children were saying, well, I'm going to get up and, and do um, some exercise an hour for an hour before I come to school. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay, um, what what sort of exercise do you like to do? Why don't you try and learn how to just do that one exercise? You know, if you're interested in doing push-ups, why don't you try and learn how to do four push-ups? Um, and I mm. try to focus on the function and the capability of your body and the strength of your body and, and learning to tune into that um, rather than the measure of we've got to do something for X amount of time. Um yeah, yeah, because it was quite problematic, and the, the children that looked at the Australian Dietary Guidelines were, it was really interesting. They were really, they were so kind, um, so negative, and they were saying things like, "Well, we've got to eat more vegetables now because it says we've got to have four and a half serves, and now we're going to eat more vegetables." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, um, let's um, let's rethink this. You know, what's another way we can look at this? Why don't you try? Who likes to cook here?" and maybe you could try a new recipe. So I was trying to make it a practical experience, an enjoyable experience um, and, yeah, engage them in a different way because they d- mm-hmm. and they were 12-year-olds and they were completely interpreting it. They, weren't, they couldn't think abstractly about it yet. Um, Even at that age, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, it's, and I suppose yeah. for teachers it's really knowing your students. Um, yeah. And if you're not trained to know that, um, like, and I did speak to the co-teacher in the other class after the children went home and I said, hey, that activity that you guys planned, um, it kind of wasn't that successful. This is what I noticed. This is what I'm concerned about. Um, and they did take that on board. So they do, um, they, they do listen, um, but I don't know how far they take the next step. I don't know what they did with that activity, whether they continued it, whether they said don't worry about it to the kids. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I don't always get the feedback as to um, more, more so people are saying I'm just starting to change my thoughts about food and how I talk about it mm. first. I think that's mm-hmm. that's the, the first port of call for adults really. You've got to like just sit back and listen and watch the world go by and look at where all this information is coming from and what information you're being told and, and learn to be a little bit more critical. Um, yeah. And that critical thinking, one of the most amazing things I've come across lately, I did a professional learning with um, uh, the ABC and they were talking about, we're looking at fake news and they talked okay, about, uh-huh. which was, oh, I was just so um I was so happy about this because they talked about Gen Z is the generation that are more likely to fact check information. And I was like. So they are already growing up thinking a bit more critically than maybe um, our our generation. That's exactly right. And And it was so good uh to hear that because if we keep embedding that in our curriculum, which is in there, and to think critically and to ask questions and to search for the correct information, um, 
then we're going to have a generation, next generation coming through to be much more, um, you know, skilled in doing that. So I think that's so important to be questioning what they're learning, both in the classroom and outside in the wider world, what, what they're being told by their parents, what they're being told by the media, and most of all, what they're being sold by brands. Yes. Um, and I think we're seeing a bit more of that in the UK as well. So there's a, um, a project called Bite Back, which is, is young people who are, um, you know, basically working together to encourage a bit more questioning about some of the tactics that the food industry employ to try and get people to eat more of their products. Mm. So um, I think those are the things you can build in later on when children get older. Mm. Um, and yeah, and but but not before they're ready. That's right. <laughs> I suppose it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's get it's getting that those timings right. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering about how do we sort of build momentum to try and get people to think, and it's getting adults to think critically because so much of what we think about healthy eating is is ingrained. It is. It, it's even in adults. It's those kind of rule bound ideas that. Mm. If I eat this food, I'll, I'm good. If I eat that food, I'm bad. You know, I'm either um, on a diet or, you know, um, off the diet. And 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 that can't help but be filtering through to the kinds That's of ways right. that people teach children. Yeah. And there um, that personal bias and that, those beliefs become embedded in those lessons. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. there are docu- there is documentation on well, the Victorian curriculum website, which is derived from the Australian curriculum. There's there's a few differences, but not a huge amount. Um, and we have documentation about a, a strength based approach. Now, when mm. I talk to people about that, they're like, oh, I've never heard of that before. They've never seen the document. <laughs> and there is actual documentation talking about um, on the Victorian Department of Education website saying um, it's inappropriate for you to have someone to come in and talk about eating disorders, you know, for someone that a former has you know, someone that has had an eating disorder um, and yeah. choose your resources wisely and carefully and look at your personal bias. Um and often when people do ask me questions about about something, you know, especially at the adult level, sometimes I throw a question back to them and go, well, why do you think that? Why is that important mm-hmm. to you? Because I'm just getting them to think critically or trying to get them to think critically for themselves because most of the time they do have the answer um, mm-hmm. and they do know. And the reason they're questioning is to reaffirm or to, you know, change direction or to... Um, affirm what they know is you know they're on the right track so I think that um that the complexity of learning and um the influence of society and such large a large curriculum can really overwhelm teachers um absolutely there's so much pressure on teachers to cover so many different things now isn't there huge um I've seen there's there's a bit more in the UK curriculum kind of or then the English curriculum anyway coming in about making sure that children get food education but I think with a lot of these things it is it's it's a huge pressure on teachers to meet all of the targets that they've got for all the different um, curriculum areas and and it can then you know just become something that that is you know that added pressure that makes it difficult for them to to really think through what they want to include and maybe then they, they do pick up um, off-the-shelf resources or they will bring somebody else in to teach yeah. the class who maybe doesn't have the, the if you're bringing in, I think um, if you're bringing in someone else like a nutritionist that doesn't actually have any knowledge of ch- children's cognitive development, mm. that's, I think, where, where, where there can be problems as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that... Um, if we keep going back to authentic practices, that's going to give us authentic mm-hmm. learning. And when mm-hmm. we have those authentic practices, so how authentic is it to be sorting pictures of food into the five food groups compared mm-hmm. to yeah, it's not something let's look at <laughs> how many different ways we can sort food into lots of different groups? What different groups can we come up with? And then we can see mm-hmm. the diversity. We can look at texture. We could look at shape. We could look at colour. We could look whether it comes from an animal, whether it comes from the ground, whether it grows on a tree. The world is your oyster then. And it opens yeah, and up then- the whole experience to something much mm-hmm. more authentic. And a child will go, whoa, I didn't know an apple came off a tree. I want to learn more about apples. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that way um, we're not putting things in like a little tiny box and go, yeah, done, done that. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> it will have a much more beneficial impact um, in the long run rather than um, Mm -hmm. turning them away from learning more about food. 
Mm-hmm. What about things like sugar? So there's an awful lot now about sugar in particularly in relation to dental health mm. as well you know so from quite a young age um there might be talk in the classroom around limiting the amount of sugar and you said earlier about you know the less than and more than mm. that less than what you know children children don't really understand what a little bit versus too much that's right um actually is um so so what are your thoughts on teaching children around about sugar um what stage should that come in or should it come in at all? Yeah, I, um, and how can that be done in a positive way? I agree. Yeah, I don't I don't think it needs to be tackled <laughs> at all because it's kind of mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. narrowing the learning down to just one um, one yeah. ingredient. And really at the end of the day, like we need sugar in food to have, have uh-huh. energy. <laughs> and when you keep that real neutral <laughs> approach to it, um, and I and I'll say to people, I can see exactly where you're coming from. But is it really, like, how purposeful is it? How authentic is that learning? Because it yeah. just, yeah, it's, it becomes really problematic. It goes down the road of, um, you know, food rules, diet culture. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, I think ch- children don't even, they don't understand that because what they'll do is they'll pick up any food and they'll say, does this have sugar in it? Does this have sugar in it? Does this have sugar in it? And you don't want them doing that. You want them in that no, especially they engage yeah. with food with their senses, and we're just we're actually switching them off from that straight away. We're putting it into a rule, and once we start putting things into food rules, um, we're going down the road of eat more, eat less. How much of this do I need to eat? You can only have a little bit. So then we start restriction, that whole restriction cycle, um, and kids can you know start to restrict, you know, because of those lessons that they've been taught. Yeah, there, there, there's experiences of children restricting food from quite young yes. now, it's sort of from five. Yep. Um, and those children who are particularly susceptible to developing disordered patterns of eating mm. or quite rule bound approaches to yeah. eating, um, yeah, getting them f- sort of generating fear around sugar could be counterproductive for them, I think. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really, really helpful to hear that that you kind of take that approach as well the other area that I wondered about that in relation to is because you mentioned before about people's experiences at home being different from at school and what they learn at Mm. home is um of more um sort of long-term relevance to them than than what they learn at school so I think you've written about lunchbox policing before (laughs) well (laughs) the lunch my lunchbox um, well, basically in Victoria, there's no policy that supports the practice of inspecting lunchboxes, so it should never mm-hmm. be done. Um, mm-hmm. And I can I totally understand where teachers are coming from when they see this variety of food, and but I can also see where parents are coming from and where children are coming from in their learning development with food. Um, and I and I kind of go back to my experiences as well growing up when I think about the amount of times that we used to pester my parents to buy, you know, certain foods that my friends were eating. They've all got chips in the lunchbox. Can we have that? And then eventually that came into <laughs> our lunchbox and it was every day or, you know, every second day, whatever it was. But, um, yeah, we we this is an area where we need to step back and because it's it's – it's something coming from home. And so the lunchbox is coming from home. We're not allowed to look in children's, we're not allowed to go through children's school bags. So why does, why does a teacher have a right to go through a lunchbox? Um, and I have seen mm. teachers go through lunchboxes physically with children. Like you should be having this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have called them out on it. And um, it's re- it's some children, their only experience of, of those foods is maybe we don't know their food story. That's what I try and explain to teachers. You don't know their food story. You don't know whether they're a fussy eater. You don't know whether they have some feeding problems. Um, we don't mm. know, you know, completely if they have all the facilities in their home to cook and make, um, you know, other kinds of meals. Um, so we, we need to look at those social determinants as well. Um Definitely. Yeah, and whether that you know, I work with a with children that are refugees, and so mm-hmm. their food story, coming from famine in some circumstances to this abundance of food, and having access to finances to buy this food, and parents want at loving their children and giving them their love with the food because they couldn't provide that before they before they came here. 
what what are mm. we why are we arguing with that? We've got to really step back and have a good hard think about what we're wanting here because healthy eating is about our relationship to food and if we're putting some foods on a pedestal over others we're actually doing more harm than good yeah especially being critical of food that has been given with love from from home and that is kind of that link between the home and the school and you know there's so much kind of emotion potentially wrapped up in that as well Um, and when I don't think we do lunchbox policing here but I've seen um like in our school uh, newsletter that comes back quite a couple of times, there's been a note for parents like don't give your children fizzy drinks or don't give your children sweets um, because we're a health promoting mm. school. Um, and that I think it can be really difficult for parents when they're just wanting their children to have something to eat um, that they will actually have. Or if they won't drink water, then, you know, it's giving them a drink that they will actually mm. drink. Um so it's, it's quite tricky for parents, I think, to navigate yeah. that. And if you do have a community that has high levels of trauma, they will have a reduced appetite. Mm. Um, they have reduced stomach mm-hmm. activity. So that impacts that as well. So, um, you know, sometimes children eat more and eat less some days. That's, I mean, we all do. Um, and we, yeah. we kind of don't mm-hmm. recognise that, you know. Um, and I, some, some children will come in um, and say to me, oh, um, I I didn't get to eat earlier today because this happened and I had to go here and whatever. So can I eat now? And, like some, and I'll say yes. Go go grab your food out. You know I would never deny children of mm-hmm. of food. My school is amazing because we actually provide um, fruit baskets in every classroom, so um, the children can we cut fruit up for them sometimes a couple of times a day, and we you know we share that that fruit platter together. Um, so there's so many yeah. ways that we can build um, food experiences into our everyday learning at school um, rather than mm. focusing on just the eating side of it. Eating is the last step. It's kind of the step you don't need to worry yeah. about. Let's just worry about the exposure first. and Just focus on what that's right yeah. and reduce the pressure, enjoy <laughs> the experience, have the calm. Mm. And often it's not calm at lunchtime because all the children want to do is get outside and play. Um, so it is really hard sometimes like it's just getting those routines in place and um, let's get your lunch out maybe let's say a prayer together let's say a message of gratitude let's sit down and eat together Um, I actually had a child last week say one of my preppies came to me and they it was one of those situations where they didn't get to eat all of their lunch before they went out and I don't think the teacher wanted them to take it out because it would have been everywhere um and so she <laughs> when they came back in and I was actually working in that classroom after lunch and I and um she said I'll, I was, I'll let them have you eat their food for a little bit before we go on to the next activity I'm like yeah that's fine let's do that and the kids all got their lunch boxes out and sat down and one little boy was stealing um tiny teddies out of another kid's lunch box that had got up and walked away <laughs> And I'm like, what are you up to? <laughs> and then another little boy came up to me and he's like, well, where's your lunch? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, where's your lunch? We're all eating our lunch. Where's your lunch? And I said, oh, I've eaten my lunch. And I said, you know what? I said, would you like me to eat my lunch with you? And he said, yes. I said, well, okay, next week I'm going to come and eat my lunch with you and you get to see what I eat for lunch. So um, I- I'm going to do that this week when I go into school. Um, oh, yeah, so I'm, just, I'm really yeah, looking because- forward to that, just like just I'm going to follow through with that and see what he he thinks and what he says. But it won't be for me. It won't be about what food I'm eating and what food he's eating. It'll be me sitting down having a conversation with the children in my care, basically. So I yeah, think that's that's so valuable. That's probably, uh-huh. probably the most powerful um, thing that you can have. You just get to know your kids a whole lot better, um, and you you get that get that social connection, and then you can show that the whole like you're modeling eating different foods without actually talking about the foods, um, you know, just talking about everyday life and what we're doing and and enjoying our meal together. Um, and sometimes kids as well don't have those experiences either. They don't sit down at a family meal. You know, they might have mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. parent that's doing shift work and they don't always get to sit with one, you know, one parent or another. They might be sitting in front of a television. They might be organising their own meal for themselves. Um, we just don't know. So we kind of make all these assumptions um, coming from a place of care and love, but we're coming from the wrong, you know, the, the, having the wrong attitude about it. Um, yeah. Mm. So if we want to have impact, we've got to so, 
um, live the experience rather than dictate the experience. Definitely. So much less about the educating yes. with facts that, and much more about those yeah. positive experiential activities and, 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 and even just the sitting down together and connecting um, and eating food and not even talking about the food, talking yeah. about other things, but that social experience of, 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 of relating to other people while sharing a meal can be so powerful um, in children and adults alike. Yeah. Um, so that's great. You've shared so many practical ideas there, which I'm sure is going to be of massive value to people who are listening. Um, have you got any other um, kind of recommendations that educators can can take to encourage and support children to relate positively to food in their bodies? Um, well, consider your school food environment as well, because it can kind of be conflicting mm. um, when you talk about, let's bring yes. this in the lunchbox. <laughs> You've got to have a healthy lunchbox. And then your canteen or your tuck shop sells those foods that you would consider junk foods or unhealthy foods and children have access to those mm-hmm. um you can't you mm-hmm. you're giving so many mixed messages there um food is just food um and there's so many other ways we can mm-hmm. bring food into the school environment through you know kitchen garden programs community gardens our school has a community garden and it's just beautiful and the you know the kids walk past that every single day they sit in it to play um as well so it's got this beautiful like um water feature like river that rolls down into the ground um and the kids play in the rocks and, mm-hmm. and things like that um yeah so think about how we can how we consider our food environment at school so things like um occasionally we, we would have like a sausage sizzle and why not get the kids to make a salad on the side as well and put those bowls on the table and Uh they don't have to eat it but it's there on offer and you'll find that kids will start munching from it you know if it's available um so make things available for them um to give them that experience Mm -hmm. you know there's so many different ways you can do it you could do like a a vegetable every week that we're learning about or you know um and different children bring in different vegetables, you chop them up and put them on a platter in the middle of the table while it's lunchtime and they've got the option to snack from it. Um, you know, there's so many yeah. different ways we can attack it um, rather than that directive teaching and um, going down the road of, you know, good and bad and you have to eat this food. This is everyday <laughs> food um, because what, what mm-hmm. happens when you've got those sometimes foods and some children have those sometimes foods every day it just creates a conflict That's within right. them doesn't it the the, the mix me- the mix messages is, is my biggest bugbear because I, I do like keeping all food on a fairly even playing field but when we notice that um children are being told that some foods are un- unhealthy and then they're being given those foods as rewards or they're at school fairs or whatever those are the foods that are really put on the pedestal and, and considered mm. as treats I think that's really difficult for little ones to understand like why why are they telling yeah. me you shouldn't eat this and then they're making it a prize right. for something or they're making and it, you it know, kind of like um, you're dangling the carrot um for children to perform in a certain way as well um and really mm-hmm. what's the motivation like we need children mm-hmm. to have that internal motivation that internal drive themselves mm-hmm. and that you know build that success for themselves i've been in classrooms where children have gone and picked up the box of lollies or the box of chocolates and put it in my lap and said my teacher gives me this when we do this and I've just put it down I said we're not doing that today thank you you know but yeah and they yeah it's it's so problematic it's so difficult because we're so used to using those foods to treat ourselves or as a reward for ourselves as well so it's it's quite difficult to get your head around the idea that you might not do that um but but I never want to take away from the idea that you can celebrate with food like all different. There are certain foods that you would use for celebration and, and birthday cake yeah. and things like that. Lovely. Um, so loads, loads of good ideas there. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you one last question, which is if I made you head of government food and health policy for the day and you could change one thing, what oh would you do? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my head's <laughs> exploding. Oh, we'd, have, we'd have a multicultural feast with food. Like learn what other cultures eat and and learn to like other foods and have you know have a have a, a shared meal, big shared multicultural meal. Yeah, I think 
yeah. everywhere. So everyone, that, everyone mass. would everyone would get involved mass. in that. At the same yeah. time, mm-hmm. when they do mm-hmm. they do this um oh, oh, this reading thing, I can't think of the name of it, but basically everyone's reading the same book at the same time across Australia. And so we can okay, we can all do it at the same time. We all have this big multicultural feast of food all at the same time. Mm. We celebrate food. <laughs> oh, I love that the idea of, of, and it is. It's like I love your name, the curious nutritionist. Like it's about getting curious about yeah. food, it's about celebrating food, and it's all about that enjoyment. Mm. And it took me ages things. to come up with um, that, but then when I came up with it, it was like. I've actually been talking about this for such a long time and I didn't even realise. Um, and I looked back mm. through some like some old posts that I'd done on Instagram and Facebook and when I was reading I was like, I've been talking about curiosity forever. Like why didn't I think of this years ago? Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so it just <laughs> seems like the perfect fit and that's, and that's why I come from that angle with children. I don't have to answer all of your questions. We can answer them together. We can explore together. You can, you'll find the answer. And I also don't, also, that's one thing I also don't do with children is I don't correct everything that they have a misconception about. Um, things okay. like when children will say to me, is this healthy food? I will say, what do you think? For starters, I'll throw the question back to them. And because sometimes we add to that confusion and when you start saying, well, that's all foods healthy mm. or if you, if you made that, you know, that sort of generalised comment, kids will be go, like, kids will look at you and like, what are you on about? Like that's so confusing. Um, and I don't want to add to the confusion. So I was like if a child comes to me and says, oh, because they do, they'll come and say, someone said that this isn't healthy. And I'm like, oh, that's a chocolate bar. Is it creamy? And they're like, yes. Is it tasty? Yes. Um, does it have a mint flavor? No. Are you enjoying it? Yes, good. It's chocolate. And I, I just kind of leave it at that. Um, I, I don't always answer those questions because you don't want to, you don't want to confuse them anymore. That's brilliant. That's such good advice. And I have been, um, I've done that. I know, I've, I know my son has come back and said, "Is this?" is this food healthy because he's been learning about that at school and I I know I've said that to him I've said all yeah. food healthy um so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick yeah. that up next time and I'm definitely gonna just it's just yeah. asking more questions isn't it and encouraging that curiosity and not actually see mm. you don't need to answer and say um that it's the teachers because telling them that the teacher's wrong is probably not particularly right, helpful yeah. either and um, I do that with my <laughs> incursions as well actually when, when I first start off I say what have you been learning about and my Children will say we've been learning about food or we've been learning about this food or we put food into groups often it pretty much every incursion the children will say we've been learning about healthy food and unhealthy food whether the teacher said that or not that's mm-hmm. how they interpreted it so that's the interpretation yeah. whether mm-hmm. you had said the word healthy or unhealthy they will still interpret it like that so um they'll still mm-hmm. perceive it that way and sometimes i'll say what does that mm-hmm. mean and they'll they'll say, oh, packet foods are unhealthy, and 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 other foods that come from the um, green grocer are healthy. So I kind of um, I say, oh, okay, that's really interesting, and I leave it at that. I don't actually correct them on it. Um, yeah. So, and sometimes children will say, we're learning about nutrients. I say, what are nutrients? Yeah, and I just mm, get them to tell mm-hmm. me. I say, oh, that's really interesting. Thanks for letting me know. Okay, and I'll say, oh, yeah. they oh, say, oh. Lovely. Calcium helps our bones grow. I said, yeah, that's right. Like I, I will reinforce what the correct information is, but I don't confuse them, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I choose the time when I do that as well. So um, I, I think I'm doing yeah. more listening now and less teaching or less, talk, less talking about Great. it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing much more listening and much more listening to adults and what they're saying mm-hmm. too because I want to use that information to help me educate them too. Uh I've had that I have I remember when my son was maybe about four coming up for five and I I did ask him that question I was like well well, what does healthy mean um and he I I recorded on on video with his response so if I if I'm able to I might um add that on to the end of the recording Mm -hmm. here because it was so cute what you said and it just you know 
Um, yeah. <laughs> they don't. They don't know. They like it's clear when you ask them. They don't really know what right. healthy means. But it's it's you know it's interesting for them to yeah. start thinking about it. And you know it's just lovely to hear some of the, the their right. interpretations of things. That's where you say learning yeah. is constructed, not acquired. You know, so in that sense, mm-hmm. when that child's mm-hmm. asking me that question, I'm actually constructing the learning with asking another question mm-hmm. or asking them to elaborate on that information, but I'm not actually just giving them information. Um, yeah, I'm letting yeah. them, mm-hmm. you know, find out themselves. So, um, yeah, and it's and it's safer then. Like it, it's a safe, it gives them a safe environment to be able to ask lots more questions because if you keep telling them their answer is incorrect or it's the wrong way to do something, they're not, they're going to stop asking questions. You know, they're going to stop Absolutely, you want to be of... able to allow them to have that confidence to speak up and advocate for themselves as well. You know, if they do have some really positive yeah. food experiences and someone saying, "Hey, you know, this is unhealthy," and we can say, "Well, no, well, not in my home. It's not. This is where, this is where we, are. you know." <laughs> and if we can empower them to do that, yeah, um, yeah, it will be be an interesting conversation to have with people. Definitely. So where can people find you and your work if they want to know more I'm based in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Um, uh, I'm The Curious Nutritionist, so www.thecuriousnutritionist.com.au is my website and my Facebook and my Instagram are The Curious Nutritionist. Fab. And are you able to do work like internationally if there were people that wanted to do a wee bit of consultancy from you or anything oh, like that? Um, find a way to do you... it. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So anyone who wants to learn yeah. about this stuff, which I think is so, so needed, um, get in touch with me. Okay. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely lovely to finally get the chance to speak with yes, you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. that's it for episode one thank you for listening i hope you will consider subscribing and sharing the episode if you found it interesting um if you want to get in touch with me you can do my website is www.sarahdempster.co.uk or you can find me on twitter at sarah dempster or on instagram at sarah dempster nutrition um i'm just going to leave you with the recording of my son magnus that i spoke about um with kelly there and um, it was a conversation that I had with him when he was about four around what his understanding of healthy eating was. Food is good for you and, and it makes people grow. What else does it do? It will your head all the way up to the scene with so, so many good foods for you. Go all the way to the ceiling and run fast. And it might bang your head, but you have to be careful. Coming into bedrooms, that might be a problem. <laughs>